Hello, hello. Hey up, what's up, what's good? Welcome to the Any Given Runway Show. I'm your host, Randall Carlton Green. Any Given Runway celebrates the exploration of new cultures by highlighting some of the most artistic, athletic, tenacious, basically unique and interesting people in the world. Everyone has a story, each person a scholar. Welcome to season three. As we continue to seek out some of the most unforgettable humans, some of the most memorable stories, in the first two seasons, the show featured guests from over 60 different countries and will continue down that path because it is imperative that we cherish the differences. And we can only do that by getting out and journeying into unknown frontiers, whether it be physically or simply through conversation, sharing lovely experiences and saluting the tenacious and resilient guests. We have an exceptional episode for you today with an unforgettable guest, Australian Olympian Bree Walker joins the show. Today is a gift for you, the listener, as we present the gift of your new favorite athlete, because Brie Walker is certainly my new favorite athlete, someone who is impossible to not love, and I think by the end of this episode, you'll be tremendously impressed by the Winter Olympian. At the 2022 Olympic Games in Beijing, Brie competed in both the two-person bobsleigh and the monobob in which she finished fifth. It was the first Olympics for the Melbourne native. Like many sliding sports athletes, Bree transitioned from another sport as she was a collegiate track athlete here in the United States at the University of Arkansas Little Rock. On today's episode, she shares the incredible and random story of how not skipping a workout dramatically altered her life course. Bree also talks about what it was like going to college in the United States, how it was such an important time in her life, and the funny cultural shock moments that she had including one particular fast food sauce that she hasn't been able to forget. Brie also shares with us the moment in the Olympics that stood out and made her feel like she had finally made it. Lastly, Brie gives us tremendous insight into the lessons that she learned over the last few years and how it was a comment from a teammate that put her in check and immediately changed how she felt about excuses. The only thing bad about today's show is that it's only one episode because I wish I had more conversations with Brie to share with you because she is incredibly thoughtful, deep thinker, and I think above all, maybe her number one asset, number one strength is her introspection on herself, and she knows herself very well, and it's something that I admire about her. Thrilled for you guys to meet her, so let's go ahead and bring on Australian Olympian, Bree Walker, and let's learn. Got to chat with you, got to chat with you. We've had a lot of sliding sports athletes on the show, and they always transition it from another sport. It's not something that they did from when they were initially young. So for you, what's your story? How'd you first find yourself in the sliding sports? Yeah, so I was a track and field athlete. I was a 400-meter runner, then transitioned to 400-meter hurdles um, and, and was quite successful. I medaled at state and I also I competed at national level and made finals and I even went over to college on a full track and field scholarship. Uh, but I actually, when I was over at college, I got quite injured and I actually had put on a lot of weight from, um, the weight training and colleges are quite heavily weight based and I hadn't been exposed to that kind of training before. Um, and I knew my, I knew my body. I knew I was the type of athlete to like look at weights and put on muscle. And I did pre-war my coach. I said, that's what will happen to me. They're like, no, no, we'll manage it, um, efficiently. Um, but a year into my scholarship, uh, like that is exactly what happened. And I opened up my second season with my slowest 400 meter run. Mm. And I was just like, look, 
I'm not here to get an education. I'm actually here to get faster and that's not what I'm doing. So I'm going to, I think it's time for me to go home. And I, when I came home, I still wanted to continue with track and field because my ultimate goal was to represent Australia um, on an international stage and, uh, and compete at the Olympics and world championships. And I, I truly believed that I could do that. So I began training. I actually started training um, with Kathy Freeman's old coach, Peter Fortune. I don't know if people know Kathy Freeman, but she's a legend in Australia. She's a 400-meter runner that won at the Sydney Olympics, and it's like a major moment in our sporting history. Um, and he was really um, like determined to get me back up to my fitness and get back up to the level where I was before. And... Um, but I was watching the Rio Olympics and I just asked myself the hard question and that was, was I going to be able to represent Australia at a high international level in 400 metre hurdles? And I knew I had a long way to go. I had to get over a few injuries and I knew that there was a lot of youngsters coming through that was going to make it really difficult to be able to be selected for an Australian team. So the hard answer was no. And... But I knew I was young and I had a lot more to give. So I simply just Googled whether we had an Australian bobsleigh team because it was something that I had always thought I would do at the end of my career. And, you know, it's hard not to make a reference to Cool Runnings and yeah. that they, and then they, they were sprinters. And then also Yana Pittman, who was a great role model of mine, um, as she was a 400-meter hurdler, hurdler that transitioned over to bobsleigh uh, for the Sochi 2014 Olympics. And so I thought, if Yana could do it, why not? Why couldn't I? And so, yeah, I just Googled whether we had an Australian bobsleigh team. And we didn't at the time, but they were revamping it for the 2018 Winter Olympics. And so I just applied for the talent identification camp and, and a month later I attended the camp and I achieved the standards. And then a month later I was then in Whistler in Canada uh, learning how to drive a bobsled. So, yeah, that's just, that's, that's a story and the rest is history. I love it. You actually went yeah. to college in Arkansas when I saw oh, that. Yeah. I could Yeah, I did. Fun. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I did. I went to college in Arkansas, um, which is obviously very random, especially yeah. you know where Arkansas is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when, when they first approached you, what was your answer of where the heck is Arkansas? Because I, living in the United States, I say that often, where the heck is Arkansas? <laughs> yes, no, that's exactly <laughs> what I said. I hadn't heard of the state before. Um, and... I actually got approached by a scout who used to be a runner at my track and field club. Mm. And the story is actually quite funny and it's, it's got like a really important message um, in, in it is that there was one day that my coach at the time, he was overseas um, with some athletes who were competing in Europe. And so I was at home in Australia in the, like, the depths of winter training by myself. And this day, I really didn't want to go to training. I, like, I was just like, no, it's raining, it's cold, I don't want to go. And I'm like, honestly, my, my coach, Tom, I go, if Tom won't know that I didn't go to training, you know? Like, he won't know. And then I was like, ah. Like, you know, just the guilt's got about me. And I was like, no, 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 you've got to go to training. You've got to do the work. If you want to achieve what you want to achieve, you've got to go to training. Anyways. 
I did this brutal session and I just like, I whinged and moaned the whole way through, obviously to myself because there was nobody else there, except this one guy who was just doing laps around the track. And he, and I could see that he was kind of watching me, but I was just grinding out these 250 meter reps. And at the very end, I was just on the ground, completely exhausted physically and mentally because I was just battling with myself the whole way through. And um, he came up to me and I was just like, please don't talk to me right now. I'm not in the mood to talk to you. And he was just like, that looked like a pretty brutal session. And I was like, yeah, it was pretty tough. And he's like, my name's Nathan Carr. I actually used to run um, here at Doncaster Athletics Club. And I'd heard of the name before. He's like a little bit of a legend in the club. And I was like, Nathan Carr, like, okay. And he was like, um, he just wanted to know a bit about me, so I explained who I was. And he's like, have you ever considered going over to college in America? And that was actually one of my goals at the time, like a stepping stone for me to, in order to be able to represent Australia at the highest level. I thought, like, I thought in order to be able to be the best, like the ones who I would be competing against at the Olympics, I needed to go to college. And I was like, yeah, actually, that, that is like a major goal of mine. And I'm investigating at the moment. I just know, how, I don't know how to crack into the market. And he goes, well, I'm actually a college scout for uh-huh. um, the University of Arkansas in Little Rock. And I think you would be a perfect fit. We don't have a 400 meter runner, 400 meter hurdler of your caliber. Um, do you have like a athlete resume? And I was like, yeah, I do. And he goes, well, here's my email. And he like, and he put it in my phone. He goes, just send me your resume and I'll get back to you. And I went home and it was hilarious. And I told my parents, I was like, guys, like you cannot believe what happened. And my dad thought, my dad's like, he was hitting on you, Brie. Like, (laughs) and I was just like, no, no, it's legit. It's legit. Anyways, I sent off my resume and yeah, a month later, I got a very short email from the head coach at my university saying that we would like to offer you a full ride to the university. And so I just think it's so important, especially on the days that you don't want to go to training for anything other than like, you just can't be bothered. They're the days you have to go because they're the days that you never know what could have happened. What a damn fantastic story that was. Wow. (laughs) Because we've all had those oh. moments. We've had all those moments where it's like, I don't want to go. Yeah. No one's going to know. That, that is an absolutely fantastic, brilliant story. Thank mm-hmm. you for sharing that. That's awesome. No, uh, I actually haven't shared that on a podcast before. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's really It's because they were all sliding sport podcasts, not travel-based. So that's why. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> no one's gonna, who else is going to ask you about Arkansas? I mean, come on. Well, yeah, this is true. <laughs> By the way, when you were there, when you get to Arkansas, did you have any culture shock moments? You're texting people back home in Australia. You're like, you won't believe this. If I didn't have a culture, sh- like culture shock moments, I would have had my eyes shut. That was an extremely ah, big, a, that was an extremely big culture shock, but it was, it was such a cool experience because you know, like you get to learn what the South is about and, and like the people there and how they talk and what they eat and how they dress and um, the different types of people from the South and, and all that kind of stuff. And what I really liked actually is how religious everyone was and how it was like very accepted. 
Um, like I grew up as, as a Catholic and uh, it was just something that I did in school. And uh, like I went to all Catholic schools. And it was just something that I did. But the, when I went there, people chose to do it. And then they actually were able to explain why they chose to uh, like be a part of the church and everything like that. And I was like, that's actually really quite nice. And I was, um, I was mourning actually um, the death of my coach, Tom, who I actually talked about before. He actually passed away just before I went over to college. And it was a really nice time for me to be able to feel like I was connecting with him and then get and, and move past his death and everything like that. And so it was just, it was a really cool experience and obvious, and it helped me so much in like the, the rest of my life. So yeah, it was, it was really fantastic. Brilliant. Even, Another, though didn't, even though the purpose of me going over there was to get faster and I didn't, it provided me with so many other things. Brilliant. Another fantastic story and we're, we're just getting started. This is so cool. <laughs> I got to ask one more question about Arkansas. Was there a food or just the South in general that you were hooked on immediately and is now part of your life because you had it the first time there? A Chipotle, oh. for sure. <laughs> well, and, and then also Chick-fil-A. If, and and I, I would like... And every time I see Chipotle, I am like, I need to go. I'm not even hungry, but I need to go. And there's one in one in Frankfurt where I live in Germany and like on on like, you know, a hard, after a hard day of training, that's where I want to head. Um, but I haven't found a Chick-fil-A yet outside of uh, the US and, and I'm dying because I just love the sauce. And I think that's what Chick-fil-A is very famous for is for the sauce. Well, there's like eight different sauces. What, what was your sauce to go? What was the one you had to have? Oh, oh my gosh! I can't remember. It, like it, it was an orange sauce. Okay. Like, do you, do you know what it is? I think, I I think it might know. be actual Chick Fil A sauce. Yeah, I think we'll have to yeah, find yeah. a way okay, to. Then, uh, so then it's the Chick Fil A sauce. Yeah, it's, I think I'm gonna have to Amazon you some or send you some overseas uh, because oh, I, I think sure. you have them in bottles. I think you can have them delivered. So that's a, that's a game changer. <laughs> <laughs> and I know, and I know that they might not have Chick Fil A there, but there there is a KFC on every dang corner in Frankfurt. Mm-hmm. Yes, so yeah, you, yeah. It's very. You get that? Maybe you can add the sauce. Who knows? So. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can keep it in your purse. <laughs> you go in there and you got it. You take the sauce out of your purse. It'll be, it'll be brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, look, bobsleigh is a gravity sport, so I, I'm not so much worried about my weight anymore, like I was in track and field. And so, I get me some Chick Fil A sauce, and I'll smother it in everything. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna see what I can do. Gearing up for the Olympics. I mean, it, it was a time like no other. And here you are getting ready for such a monumental event in your life that you had delays, you had postponements, you had probably the overwhelming, overarching time of, of just uncertainty and doubt. What is going to mm. happen? How did you progress through all that? And then second part of that, how did you adapt your training to handle all the questions that you had? Yeah, so, I mean, obviously when Tokyo was postponed, there was obviously the question like, will Beijing be po- postponed? And I think the best way for me to handle something like that was just to keep going Um, because we had no control of whether it was going to be postponed or not. But if we delayed our preparation, then we were going to be on the back foot. So we just kept going. And I think that was just the best decision for me to do because instead of stressing about it, instead of worrying about it, we just kept like progressing as normal. And for us, we were very lucky that our season took place as normal. I know there was a lot of other sports where events were cancelled and even like entire tours were cancelled, but our um, international federation just made it work. And there was a lot of restrictions and like a lot of just rules and regulations that we had to stick to in order to make it happen. But we all just made it happen. And I feel like that's 
the best quality and a professional athlete can have is to become adaptable to their situations and environments. Um, because if, if you can't, you're just going to be exhausted by the stress of like not knowing and the uncertain. And so that's just what we were able to do. And honestly, like that was my breakout season. So it's really crazy to think that COVID year, the hardest year possible was my breakout season. And staying focused on the goal, something you learned in high school on the day that you didn't want to train. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. You just got to think of the bigger picture and, and, and move forward. And that's exactly what we did. So let's talk more about those two weeks, your first Olympics. When you think back to, to that time, what are the first memories that come to mind? We actually arrived in the Olympics uh, and it was, it was quite a stressful time because my push coach and my driving coach both got COVID just before we were about to leave for the Olympics. And so we were like, okay, we don't know how long it'll take for them to get over it again. And then we also don't know um, if they will be allowed in. Uh, and so again, it was just like, okay, I need to progress as normal with or without them. And so we, I actually rolled in and started sliding without my coaches. And that was like really quite daunting because when like, for those who don't really know, and I'd be surprised if people did, unless you're in bobsail or skeleton, um, we only got three weeks to learn this new Olympic track in October. So coming back to China, we only had two days in order to be able to refresh our memory before we started competing in the official, uh, the three official training days and then before the competition. Um, and so this was like quite daunting because I was like, I hope I remember what I'm doing here. And, and so, cause that might be important, right? That's, that's kind of important. Yeah, definitely. And so it was, uh, for me, it was just like, I, I just have to go there and, and lay down what I remember and then, and have good practices in place in order to be able to reflect and then, um, relay that back to both of my coaches. Um, so that was really like quite a stressful start to the whole experience, but the biggest memory and what made me feel like I had made it and I was an Olympian was the opening ceremony. And I loved it how China set up that when the athletes were walking into the stadium, you had the big Olympic rings right in front of you. And then that was my moment where I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here where I've like always watched athletes um, walk in and become Olympians and celebrate their accomplishments up until up to that point. And I was just like, I'm here, you've done it. And that was the first moment where I was like, okay, really enjoy this moment, take this in because now you feel like an Olympian. Um, and then from that point on, I obviously just had a job to do, but, and, but that was a, a very, very enjoyable moment for me. Ah, fantastic. What a moment. Earlier, I asked you about a culture shock moment from Arkansas. There, did you have a culture shock moment from China? And you, earlier you said, if you only kept your eyes closed, it would have been the only way you didn't have one. So I'm guessing you did have some while you were in China as well. Yeah, but not as big as Arkansas. You'd be surprised because we were also very isolated okay, yeah. there. Okay. And we were in the in these bubbles that like just kept us very safe and then and so I didn't really have as big a culture shock as what I did in Arkansas because I wasn't really exposed I guess to the real China. Yeah. Um things that did uh shock me were not necessarily shocked me, but surprised me was the, I guess, a landscape that if, if all the plants and all the trees are very laid out and everything is very 
I guess, artificial. Okay. You don't you, you don't see it like in Australia, for example, if you walk out into the bush, everything's a mess and you've yeah. got trees okay. everywhere and different plants and all that kind of stuff. But in China, it was like all the same trees and they're all in a line. And so you can you can see that everything is like ha, has been placed there purposefully. Interesting. Um, and I guess like in China, everything is quite orderly. And this maybe was the most frustrating thing about China is that when you needed to do something and you required a person to help you do that, they weren't allowed to go out of their, their job. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, like if I needed to go to my sled crate via a bus, I was like, can you please take us to our sled crate? And they were like, yes, okay. Well, how they did that, they would have to do the full route Mm. all the way around, which would take 10 minutes instead of just driving me straight to the sled crate. And that was quite irritating because I'm just like, you could have saved myself and yourself about 10 minutes of time if you just took me straight to the crate. And so Mm. they had to really stick to their job roles um, there. And if they needed, and if they were required to go outside of that, they had to then talk to their manager or their leader. And, um, and it was very much they had to, like, get permission to yeah. go outside of their job role. And that yeah. was quite irritating because I'm like, come on, just do me a favor, man. Like, yeah. Um, but, yeah, other than that, it was very isolating and very focused on one job, which was competing at the Olympics. Very interesting. Very interesting. The food you looked forward to in the Olympic Village was what? I... I didn't look forward to any food, but one food that I did enjoy was the Peking duck. Okay. And they had these Peking duck pancakes. And in the end, I was just asking, going up and asking for the meat and I just put it on rice and then put some barbecue sauce on it. And this was amazing. Interesting. You competed in two different events at, at the Olympics. So I'm curious, a lot of athletes are only competing in one. So for you, how did you balance having to make sure that you're at your best in two separate events and make sure they're giving both equal time? Yes, yeah, this has been very difficult because Monobob, which is the one-person bobsleigh, has only been introduced within the last four years and it was the first time it was ever competed at Beijing. And so the women have only traditionally been um, ever as ever competed in the two-man event. And so this was a big challenge for a lot of women because now we had to split our time and um, and the monobobs actually drive quite differently to, to the two-man. And so you have to like pretty much learn a new, different way of driving and it can be quite tricky. Like it, the best way that I could describe it, it's like, first driving a Toyota Camry and then dri- driving a Ferrari. Like it's completely Hold on, I got to interrupt. I gotta, I'm, a, I'm a Camry owner, so I don't even know how to feel about that. So, <laughs> No offense. <laughs> but um, they're completely two different vehicles. They're completely do two different ways of driving. And so you have to be able to switch your mind between like driving the monobob and then driving the two men. Um, and then, of course, like uh, – in the monobob i am pushing the sled from the back and then i jump in and i drive down the track but in the two man i'm pushing the sled from the side and i have a teammate pushing from the back and so then it's a slightly different way of pushing and so there was a lot of different um things that i had to learn over the last four years in order to be able to execute both events um efficiently and so that was quite difficult actually like i did have a lot of trouble switching back and forth between the two events 
And Monobob was actually the event that I was excelling in the most. So we did put a lot of time into Monobob, which I think was a disadvantage to my two-man driving. Um, in saying that, I'm somebody who puts 110% into everything that I do. And so I always was really trying to execute the best runs both possible in both uh, events. And so um, it's just, again, being adaptable as an athlete. That's the, that's the biggest thing and the way that athletes are going to be the most successful if they can adapt to their situations as yeah. good as possible. Well, I wish monobob would have been a sport in the Olympics for a long time ago, only because it might be the coolest and most fun word to say. Monobob, like that's just so much. Yeah, I just like saying that much more than than four person running that or lose your skeleton. That's just the best. So, with sliding sports, there's a delicate balance of speed, going fast, but also safety. Mm -hmm. So, how do you balance that? And, and not even so much maybe in the competition, but also just in all the times in training. Yeah, you obviously have to be um, very on your game. Mm -hmm. That's a, a really big thing. So rest and recovery um, really comes into a big factor there. You you got to be make sure that your body is sharp and then also your mind is sharp um, because if your mind isn't sharp, like you said, the sport is like so fast and there's so much adrenaline involved. And if you make a slight mistake in bobsleigh, then that, that could have big co consequences. So um, that's really how I try to um, make sure I'm keeping myself and my team as safe as possible is that I'm getting the correct rest and recovery. I'm also doing like a lot of extra work outside of sliding um, in terms of doing visual runs. Um, I do actually a, a lot of uh, my, like mindset work and, um, and even meditation in order to be able to calm my mind because at the start of a, a bobsleigh run, you have to obviously push as hard as you can, which is like exerts a lot of energy. But then as soon as you get into the sled, you need to calm your body. And um, you have to practice that. That doesn't just happen naturally to us. Like uh, you have to, you have to practice that. So there are all the different kinds of, I guess, um, mental approaches that I take to the sport in order to be able to keep us safe. Did you name your sleds? Uh, yeah, uh, kind of. I dabble in names. I, uh, uh, Black Beauty is uh, pretty much like my, my two man. It's a little bit of, of a joke and a reference to Black Beauty in the movie because I used to ride horses and okay. so it was like kind of a little bit of a joke um, between me and my teammates. Um, but my two man, I mean my monobob, I haven't really named i don't know that's just my little baby like it's <laughs> it's it's smaller than the two men and it's it it you know it's a it can be sometimes a bit of a pain to drive because <laughs> it's like it, the sled is much lighter because you don't have somebody in the back and so you can have some really good days and you feel the sled and everything's going well and then you can have some difficult days but and so i guess it's like having children you have some good days and you have some bad days yeah. so it's my little baby <laughs> Well, crazy last 24 months for everybody, uh, especially athletes, especially not only for athletes, but someone at your caliber preparing for their first Olympics, especially it's a mm -hmm. monumental thing. You've gone through such emotional ups and downs with that, with everything that you experienced. What do you feel is the biggest life lesson you've learned? It doesn't even have to be bobsleigh related. Um, I, the biggest life lesson that I think I've learned over the last few years is taking the, mo the emotion out of situations and, mm. and problems that arise because you can't solve a problem efficiently if you are over-emotional yeah. and, and just reacting. Um, 
obviously like if something does pop up your everyone's natural instinct is to get upset about it but if you remain upset and you and you remain in this heightened state you can't think clearly mm-hmm. um and so i've quickly learned that if a problem comes up i i you know i become like if i become emotional because of that i'm like no no you need to calm down and think logically about how you can solve this as soon as possible um, and I think that's been a, a, a big, um, like a, a big change for me because then I've been able to adapt to things quickly. Like, for example, um, we were three weeks away from uh, leaving for China um, in October, which was the Olympic test event. So it's a very important event that we need to go to. And, um, our sleds are very expensive to ship anyways. And at the time it was going to cost 19,000 euros to ship both sleds across. Mm-hmm. Well, three weeks before we were about to leave, I got notified that um, the shipping port had shut down in China. So we needed to air freight them and the sleds were going to cost 17,000 euros each. And I sat there and I was like, shit, like, <laughs> I, I've only in my, I'm only going to be able to send across one sled. Like that's, I, it's not in my budget to send across two. And I just sat there and I went to get upset. I'm like, that's not going to serve you. So what do you need to do in order to be able to get two sleds there? And I think that was just the biggest, like the best thing that I could have done because I then just called up the people at the OWIA and I was like, I need help. I cannot do this anymore. I've done a lot of things myself uh, in the past, but I cannot do this. Um, and I was so grateful that they were able to come and help me ship over the other side that I couldn't afford. But if I didn't like stop and like and take the emotion out of it and logically think about it, I wouldn't have thought of calling them. Um, I just would have sat there and like, you know, in the fetal position and cried. It's <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's, you know, hey. <laughs> you can have those moments, but just get over them quickly so you can solve the problem. You know, I'm going to get in the fetal position and cry after the Toyota Camry comment. Sorry. By that, but. <laughs> Sorry. but the thing is, right, and this is something that I learned like easily. I was like, when you, when you wrote that question, I was like, oh, what, like, what is the biggest lesson I learned? And I think like the lesson that I learned uh, the most was like to take the emotion out of situations yeah. and just think logically because that also adapts to your everyday life. And I thought that was probably the best one. But another one for me is that people actually don't care what your excuses are. Um, all they care about is the result at the end of the day because everyone thinks that their problems are bigger than yours. And, and I learned that because when I was on season, I had finished um, the first three weeks when we were learning the Olympic track in China and I was completely and utterly exhausted. And I wasn't just exhausted from the three weeks. I was exhausted for the preparation mm-hmm. of getting to the season because it was so intense. Like I had to do a lot of the preparation myself with my coach. Obviously we had a, a big roadblock when it came to the sled, um, to the sled shipping and I just got to China. I was completely wiped, but now I have to be on my game because I have to learn this new track within three weeks. Um, and I, we did, we did like a little race at the end of this and I didn't perform how I wanted to. And I was like, I was disappointed. And I saw one of my training partners from Germany. Um, and she's like, I had to go today. And I was like, ah, I wasn't happy at all. Like it was a really bad race. Um, but I'm really tired, you know, like everything's just been very exhausting. And she goes, huh. And, and like, 
she's my teammate, so she yeah. can kind of talk to me like this, but she's like, huh, everyone's tired, breathe. Like, and, and, and I was like, you know what? Everybody is tired. And at the end of the day, if you didn't perform well because you're tired, like that's only your fault because you've allowed that kind of mindset get to leak into why you perform so badly. Um, and so I just, from that point on, I just allowed, like, I didn't want my excuses to be the reason why I perform badly. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I can't remember what you asked me, but I, <laughs> but well, I just, I, oh, that was a lesson, the lesson. Yeah. And that was, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I will say though that uh, all your answers have been so intellectual that I, I feel as if I'm talking to like a four-time Olympian as opposed to someone who recently <laughs> this really is that all the answers have been brilliant. You were currently in Frankfurt, a mm -hmm. unique city. City I'm a little ambivalent towards. So so sell me on Frankfurt. If I was visiting for the first time, what, what should I do? What 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 makes Frankfurt great and what would be your food and drink recommendation? Well, I love Frankfurt so much for starters. It, because it reminds me of Melbourne mm -hmm. and Melbourne is where I, uh, I've been born and raised and I really love the city. Uh, I actually am from the Yarra Valley and so I'm quite like traditionally, you would say maybe I'm a country girl. Mm -hmm. um, but with like sport and, um, and everything, I've spent a lot of time in the city and I've, uh, I really begun to love it. And I really love Melbourne. I love like how multicultural it is. I love, um, just the way it looks, how it's set out. Um, the coffee scene's amazing. I'm a huge coffee, um, fan. You, you could almost say snob. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so I just, I love Melbourne and then to be able to find the things that I love about Melbourne in another country like Germany, um, is so great. So that's why I love Frankfurt. Um, if I was saying the first things that you should do in Frankfurt is probably not go to the main station. Um, I, I would, would agree. I would agree. Yes. And we had this conversation before <laughs> that the main station can be quite confronting, especially to foreigners. Um, confronting. I think that's a very accurate way to describe it. Very safe way to describe it as well. Confronting. I like that. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so I would be saying skip the main station and go straight into the CBD because in the CBD, you get to see the high rise buildings. You get to go to the old town, which is beautiful. Um, there's great shopping there. There's good food there. Um, I'm sure there's good entertainment, even though I've been living in Frankfurt during COVID. So we haven't really experienced that all, all that much. Um, the river is awesome, like the walk along the river, and then you just get such an awesome view of the skyline, and I, I couldn't recommend it more. Um, just to experience a different city in Germany, because it's the only city in Germany that has high-rise buildings. And that's why a lot of Germans actually love going there because that is something that they don't see very often. So it's, um, yeah, it's a really cool city and I really enjoy living there. You've traveled to some amazing locations. As you look back on all the places you've been, which are the ones that you still daydream about for whatever reason? You, you wake up and you think, you know what, that was a great trip. I really loved my training camp that I had in Portugal. For, for a few reasons. So I lived, when I first started um, dating my boyfriend, Christian Hammers, who's a, a he's a German bobsledder. Mm -hmm. um, I lived over in Germany for three months. And during this time, I, it just allowed me to be this full-time athlete where I, I was studying on the side, I was studying online, but I wasn't working and I was just living the, like, 
elite athlete life. And I just absolutely loved it. I thrived on it. And during this time, we went to a training camp in Portugal. And this was the best 10 days of training of my life. Not because like I was executing great performances, but it was just a, an awesome camp that was just solely dedicated to training. You were doing two sessions a day out in like the scorching heat, um, surrounded by amazing athletes because it, with our locations, um, we went to Abu Fera, um, and this location is quite um, popular for athletes to go to to train um, just to get out of like your normal environment. So the German throwing team were there and it was just crazy to be surrounded by such giant humans and they were humongous and they were so they were such elite athletes that I only ever saw on TV. And I was like, wow, that this is that's Robert Harding. Like, that's amazing. Um, and then there were like these little Kenyan and, and Portuguese, um, uh, long distance runners and they're just doing laps and laps and laps. And it's just uh, such a high level. And so I'm just surround, I'm just in this like elite athlete environment, just thriving. And, um, we obviously were doing some legit training and, and getting the job done as well. But then to just like be able to like, finish training in the morning and then go and like sit in the sun and chill and be down at the beach and then like go back and prepare for your afternoon session and then go like smash it out in the Arvo. And I was just like, this is the best. And so like that trip will always like be a special one for me because it was the first moment that I felt like I had reached the elite athlete status that I wanted to get to. Fantastic. I just see your eyes light up as you're telling that story. When does the, the season start? So our season starts in October, okay. but I will um, I'll begin preseason uh, training too, uh, soon, which is okay. um, mainly focusing on my push start. So that's during the summer is what I normally train um is for my push start so it'll involve like weightlifting it'll involve sprinting involve pulling sleds um really just like trying to be able to become as strong and as powerful and as fast as possible um and then germany like why i'm like based in germany for my training anyways um is because they have uh, these facilities called push tracks, which is just where we can simulate our start and we can just practice it again and again without going down the whole bobsled track. And so it's about a hundred meters long and um, it starts off like a relatively flat and then goes down into hill like a push start. And then it goes up on a steep um, incline. So then the sled stops and then you can just wheel it back and you can go and get time and time again. Um, and so then we'll begin that, I know we'll begin doing pushing in like end of June, July. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then we will begin sliding in October. Mm -hmm. And so that's just going to be preseason sliding, getting like used to driving again, because we obviously haven't done it quite some time. Um, and then just refining my skills and then we'll start competing maybe at the end of November all the way through until probably February where we'll have like world champs in St. Moritz in Switzerland. Mm. Um, and then for me, I'm probably going to continue sliding after that. I may even head over to North America and do some sliding there. 
Um, but who really, who really knows? I have to like figure that all out now with, uh, whoever will be my head coach. I, I, I guess at the end of a Olympic cycle, obviously a new one begins, which means you have to rebuild and I have to rebuild who's going to be my coach, who's going to be my staff and, um, who's going to be a part of my team. Um, and so the rebuild begins. And so that's a lot of what my job is about as a pilot is being able to create the team um, that I need in order to be able to achieve my goals. Well, I look forward to following it. I don't play favorites with all the guests I've had, but you are definitely one of my favorites that I've had on the show. This has been. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You're too kind. <laughs> You're awesome. This was so cool. I admire the fact that you have create back there. That's one of my favorite words. This was awesome. Totally indebted. Made my, made my day. Enjoy the rest of your day. It is uh, 7 p.m. here, so just winding down, but uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah, well, enjoy the rest of your evening. All right. Bye, Rick. All right. Catch you, man. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Wasn't she just absolutely fantastic? Give her a follow on social media. You can find her on Instagram, bobsledbree. And if someone is a Chick-fil-A sauce plug, let me know. We need to take care of Brie with some Chick-fil-A sauce. Everyone has a story. Each person a scholar. Thank you for listening. Fill up that passport. I'll see you on the road. Aviento. Aviento.